everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's a joy to be with you today, and uh, goodness, uh, Happy New Year, I guess, is in order for us to say on this uh, New Year's Eve, and uh, today... Uh, I'm going to kind of introduce something that we're going to be talking about all year long. And, and the theme of the year as we come into 2024 is going to be prayer. And I want to talk about the power of prayer. I want you to learn this year the power of prayer in your individual lives and also in our lives collectively as a church. And in fact, uh, this afternoon... At 6 o'clock, we're going to give you your first opportunity uh, out of many opportunities this year to be a part of that process of discovering and embracing the power of prayer. And at 6 o'clock this evening, I want to invite you back, and we're just going to gather together as a church family, and we're going to pray. I'm not going to teach on prayer. You already know more about prayer than you need to know. We just need to pray, right? So at 6 o'clock this afternoon, we're going to have a time of guided prayer from 6 to 7 o'clock. And uh, for some of you that say, I, I just don't know how to do that, just come. Uh, what I'm going to do is kind of direct us and say, okay, this is what we're going to do at this moment. We're going to pray for these things. And, and then we're going to go from that to pray for these things. And it's just going to be a time of prayer where we just invite God's Holy Spirit to do a work in our life. And I just got to thinking, what would it be like? If we start this year on our knees, what difference could happen in our lives if we begin the year crying out to God saying, we need you. We've got all kind of plans, but we need you. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And so we need you. So tonight, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock, I hope you'll make that a priority. And there'll be other opportunities throughout the year. And I just don't think we're going to want to miss any one of those as we move forward. Now today, I, I want to kind of set the stage, get us ready for that. Because I want to talk to you about what happens when the church prays. What happens when the church prays? And in order to do that, we're going to go back and look at the early church. And I always find this fascinating. Why is it that you and I can learn so much from the early church when we know so much more than they did? Right? The early church didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the writings of Paul. They didn't have the complete uh, uh, understanding of the picture of, of how the prophecies of the Old Testament foretold the coming of Christ. They, they didn't have the prophecies to put together in a factual way that you and I do. And we have so much knowledge today of truth. And yet when we want to learn how the church is to function and how the church can have power, we have to go back to this early church that didn't know what you know. How is that? Well, I, I don't know that I can answer it, but I, I, I think maybe this gets us close. 
I think the difference between us and the early church is that in the early church, they faced desperate times. And they were desperate people. And I think the truth is, you and I today, as we look into 2024, are facing desperate times. These are desperate days. Economically, and I'm no economist, but I want to tell you something, we can't keep going the way we're going and survive. It just won't work. Our government cannot continue to spend money we don't have. You know, it's, it's not going to work. These are desperate times. But here's the difference. We're not desperate. The early church faced desperate times, and they were desperate for God to do a work in their heart. And I think you and I today face desperate times, but we're not a desperate people. We just kind of sit back and go with the flow. And I just think that God is calling us as a church, as the people of God, to recognize that desperate times call for desperate people to cry out to God. And that may well be the difference. Well, we're going to look at what happens when the church prays. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we find the priests and the Sadducees responding to something that happened in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is that wonderful moment when Peter and John go into the temple at the ninth hour and they meet a man at the gate who is lame, has been from his mother's womb, and he asks for alms. And Peter and John responded as they walked in and said to him, Hey, look at us. Look, look, look. Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Well, every time I read that text, I'm reminded of an event that happened in the life of Aquinas. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, when he was brought and shown the riches of the Catholic Church, and as he was shown the riches of the Catholic Church, the one that was showing him said to him, No longer can we say silver and gold have we none. And Thomas Aquinas responded by saying, And neither can we say, In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Desperate times require a people to become desperate to see God move. And so Peter and John heal this man. You would think everybody would be excited about that, but we know enough today to recognize that that's true except for those who were the religious leaders. And the priests and the Sadducees were asking all kinds of questions by whose authority do you do this? And, 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 and they become upset about it. And by the time we get to chapter 4, they call 
Peter and John in and, and, and literally after questioning them and the, the, the sermon that pre Peter preaches after that, after he heals the man, people are all watching and he tells them it's by the authority of Jesus and the resurrected Christ and he preaches the gospel to them and the priests and the Sadducees have them arrested and thrown into jail. So they're in jail. It's in the evening. They spend the night in jail. The next morning they're brought before the priest and the Sadducees and they're in a bind because they know that a miracle has happened and hundreds and hundreds of people have witnessed it and there is an excitement in the street and, and so they, they question them and they simply say to them, hey, you, you, we're going to threaten you. Do not teach or preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Stop it. Don't do that anymore. And we're going to let you go. But if you do it again, we're going, to, we're going to arrest you. And so they threatened them and they released them. And when they released them, Peter and John immediately go to the gathered church. It seems that the church had, had gotten together when they heard that Peter and John had been arrested. And, and they did the only thing they knew to do. They were desperate. They... They, they, they cried out to God. What I, what I love about this particular story is that they didn't come together and say, okay, now who do you know in the Sanhedrin? We need to get, we need, you know, it really is about who you know. Who do you know in the Sanhedrin? Do you know anybody that's related to somebody on the Sanhedrin that we can get to that maybe can say a good word for, for John and Peter and get them off? But they didn't do that. Neither did they organize a protest. They did, I mean, they had the numbers, but they didn't organize a protest and say, this is, this is religious discrimination. You can't do this. But they don't do any of that. <coughs> faced with the challenges they were faced with, this young church, listen to this, this is the first time they had faced persecution. This is the first time out of the blocks as a, as a, as a new church, they faced opposition. And what did they do? They got on their knees and they began to pray. And so when Peter and John get out, they come to the gathered church and relay the story of what had happened to them. And that brings us to where we are today in, in our reading in chapter 4, beginning with verse 23. Look with me, if you will, at what the Word of God says. And when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord, and they said, Oh, Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? And the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against you, holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. 
And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who had believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed anything belonged to him that was his own, but all things were common property to them. And, and, and with great power, the apostles gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. In the early stages of this infant church, facing the first challenges of opposition, they prayed. They didn't seek a political answer. They didn't seek help in any other direction. They went directly to God. And in this story, I think we, we, we discover what happens when the church prays. What happens if we are to gather together and become a people desperately crying out to God? I, I think three things we can expect. The first thing that I recognize in the text before us is that they recognize the, the presence of God. They begin to recognize his presence. Look with me, if you will, at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. The place was shaken. And we find a similar event in chapter 16 when Paul and Silas were in prison. They had, they had been locked up in prison for preaching the gospel. And, and, and while they were in prison at night, they began to praise God and pray. And as they were praying and as they were praising God, the Bible says that the prison was shaken. There was an earthquake and the prison doors were open. There's something about the people of God coming together in prayer that allows the Spirit of God to show up and shake the place. What that says to me is that they were aware of the presence of God. He was here and he is in control. This is the manifestation, if you will, of God's presence. I'm here, and I'm in control. You can trust me. Now, we know, the Bible says, that whenever two or more gather together, he's present, right? But did you understand, even with that statement, it's possible for us to be in the presence of God and not know he's present? It, in fact, it happens all the time, doesn't it? I mean, how many times do we come in here, two or more, gather together in his name? He's here. But how many times do we walk into this place and leave this place never mindful of the fact that he's here? Never acknowledging the fact that he's present, that God is here. It's possible for us to come together week after week after week and sit in the very presence of God and never even acknowledge the presence of God. We see that even in the Old Testament when Jacob re responded and said this of Bethel, surely God was in this place and I knew it not. God was here. And I wasn't even aware of it. God was present and I wasn't aware of it. But I want to tell you something, when the people of God begin to pray, Suddenly we become aware of his presence. 
You see, it's not in the preaching of the word that you become aware of his presence because you're a spectator. You're just sitting there listening. You're just kind of, well, that was a reasonable point or you could have done better and maybe, I mean, you're assessing and analyzing all that I say and you're just kind of a spectator and we're here to be entertained. And if you're not careful, you walk in and, and we have such amazing talent leading us in worship. We just sit there and let them entertain us. And that's why, listen, that's why we can come and never once acknowledge that he's here. But when we're praying, listen, all of a sudden, I'm, I, I'm not a spectator anymore. I'm a participant. And when the church prays, we've come together, and all of a sudden, I, I, I'm crying out to God, and I begin to speak. And, and, it, and it's interesting that the Bible says that they were together in unity. And here's, here's a key for us to understand. That when they're prayer meeting, and we sometimes have prayer meetings, and you're over here praying for stuff that needs to happen in your life. You're over here praying for stuff that needs to happen in your life. You're over here praying for things that need to happen. And I want to tell you something. That's not unity in prayer. Unity in prayer is when we're all praying for the same thing. When we all come together in desperation and say, God, we all want to see you do this. God, we want to see you release those that, that, that early church when they prayed it, and Peter was released from prison. Do you think the early church had gathered together and had a list of all the, the, the sickness around? Well, you know, so-and-so's in the hospital, and this is happening here, and this is happening here. No, they got together, and they literally said, God, Peter is in prison, and unless you come through, there's no hope. We're desperate. There's no other person that can do anything. He's going to die tomorrow if you don't do something. And God, you got to do something. You can't let Rome win. And we're not going to let go. And we're not going to stop. And we're not going to sleep. And we're going to pray together in unison until you work. And what happens? An angel appears. And the door opens and Peter is released. There's something powerful that happens when the people of God come together in unison and they pray in one accord. They pray in one heart. They are seekers of God. And together with our voices in union, suddenly we become aware of his presence. And I'm convinced it's in those prayer times that we have together that we suddenly become aware of the fact that, you know what? Two or more gathered together. He's here. He's present. I sense him. I know he's here. I recognize him. He, he's put his arms around me. And sometimes the shaking that God needs to do is not a physical shaking of a building, but a shaking of our own heart to bring us to an awareness. He, he's here. I'm in the presence of God. I'm crying out to God, and He hears me. I, I, I sense His presence. When the church prays, we sense the presence of God. If you're hungry to see God do something, if you long to see God work in your life, if you're tired of the same old stuff over and over again, if you're tired of reading about things that have happened in the lives of other people, but you're hungry to see God do in your life something, then it happens when we pray. And when the church comes together and prays, 
recognize the presence of God? Now, the second thing that I, I noticed in the text before us, not only do they recognize the presence of God, they experience the power of God. The result of them coming together praying is simply this. The Bible says, and it's funny, they prayed and the place where they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's really interesting, isn't it? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just the apostles, not just the leaders, not just the pastors, not just the ones with seminary degrees. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you say, well, wait a minute, weren't they filled, wasn't the early church filled with the Holy Spirit back at Pentecost when, when the church was born? After the resurrection, the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost and, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, indeed, that is true. But I want you to understand something. And here is a key for us to recognize. You can't live on yesterday's filling. We need a fresh filling of God's Holy Spirit. That's a truth that God has taught us even in the Old Testament. You remember when God provided manna in the wilderness for the people? And he told them to go out and collect the manna every day. And he told them, collect just enough for that day. And you remember they got a little greedy and thinking, well, we're not really sure it's going to be there tomorrow. So we might ought to get enough for tomorrow. And any amount over what they would use today, you remember what happened to it? It spoiled. You know what God was teaching them? you got to trust me every day. I'm not going to give you grace today to get through tomorrow. I'm going to give you grace today to get through today. I want you to depend on me. I, I, a prayer is a relationship with God. It brings us into the presence of God and, and a dependence on Him. They were filled with the Spirit of God. Here's the fun part. They didn't even ask for the filling. They didn't say, oh, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with asking God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. I, I, I pray that often. But they didn't ask for that. But it happened. Why did God fill them with the Holy Spirit when they didn't ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit? I, I think the answer is in the prayer that they prayed. Look, look at what they did pray. If you look at the prayer... Maybe you'll begin to understand why in verse 24. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God in one accord. And they said, O oh Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. <laughs> you know, the first thing they do is they acknowledge the sovereignty of God. They said, God, you are in control. You made the earth, you made the heavens, you made the sea, and everything that is in it. They recognized that God was in control. In fact, they even said this. They lifted up their voices to God in one accord. Oh, Lord. Did you know the word Lord that is used there is a rare word? It's not the same word that is used in verse 26 when he says, Lord, the kings of the earth took their stand, uh, and uh, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against this Christ. It's not the same word that's used in verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. 
the word that they use there, Lord, is, is really a word despot. And, and it's in most occasions a negative term. But what they were ultimately saying is simply this. It is a recognition, if you will, that you are the ruler with absolute authority. Lord, you created the world. You sustain the world. They begin with an understanding of who he was. They begin their prayer by focusing on him, recognizing his sovereignty. And they lifted their voices in one accord. Lord, you are God. Isn't it interesting? They don't start with the threats of the enemy. They don't say, God, the Sanhedrin, look at what they're doing. They don't start with the threats of the enemy. They don't start with the problems that they are encountering. They start with, with an absolute understanding that he is sovereign God. And when we begin there, there's victory and there's power. Sovereignty. Not just sovereign God, but sovereign in creation. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Why in the world would they begin their prayer by saying, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them? Well, the reason is because they were having problems with some of the all that is in them. Their problem was with some of the all that's within them. And you know what? They were acknowledging this. God, you created the Sanhedrin. You created them. You're more powerful than they are. You're on your throne. You are in control. The Sanhedrin is a creation and God is the creator. And they looked beyond the creation to the creator. Listen, when we become desperate, we say simply, God, I'm going to tell you something. Biden or Trump's not the answer for America, you are. We need you. You're the creator. And so we, we acknowledge that everything in this world was created by you and we come and acknowledge that you are sovereign God and we cry out to you. And, and, and so they look beyond the creation to the creator, he's the answer. They look beyond the visible to the invisible. I like to say it this way. It's as if, you, you remember when you grew up, I don't remember what age it was, but something would happen. Your friends would do something. She says, I'm going to tell on you. You remember that? My brother, I'm going to tell mom. You did that. And sometimes he would say that, not very often, because he was the troublemaker in our house. I'm going to tell mom. I'm going to tell dad. You, you know what I love about this? They told God. They told God on the Sanhedrin. They said, God, look at what they did. They, they didn't go to the Sanhedrin. They went to God. They said, God, look what they did. Look what they're doing. You take care of that. 
that literally as they recognized God as the authority said you take care of it and not only do we see the the sovereignty of God but we also see that that, that he's in control of all things look at what they do in verse 26 and 27 well in verse 25 who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of the father David your servant said why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things and the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ truly in this city they were gathered to get against you Jesus Herod Pontius Pilate Gentiles all the peoples of Israel and what did they all come to do to Jesus look at the next verse they all gathered against you in verse 28 to do whatever your hand had purposed and predestined. They thought they were acting on their own, but as we look back over our shoulder, we recognize that they were a part of your plan and a part of your purpose. You know what's fun? The early church looked back at the darkest day of their life the day that Jesus died on the cross and they begin to recognize that that was part of God's plan that was part of his purpose they realized at that moment he's in control he's sovereign and when we pray and acknowledge the sovereignty of God God you're in control and we cry out to this God that is in control it brings us to the next place verse 29 now, Lord, take, not, take note of their threats. Here they're telling on them. And grant that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence. They, they, in verse 29, they saw themselves as a servant of God. This prayer that they prayed was a prayer of submission. There were no complaints. They didn't complain to say they put us in jail. And the jail was horrible and the circumstances were terrible get us out of this circumstance they didn't do any of that in fact they submitted themselves to God and they ultimately asked God to give them the ability to do the very thing that got them in trouble to start with give us the ability to speak with boldness with confidence the truth that we know that we might serve for the glory of God well the third thing that happens when the church prays is we reflect God's purpose so they prayed that they would speak the word of God with boldness and in verse 32, in the congregation and those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one of them claimed anything belonged to him. But all things were common, and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was on them all. When the church prays, God empowers the church to accomplish 
his purpose. Great power was upon them all. God gave them power to do what they needed to do. When we experience his presence and, and in his presence, we, we are shaken. We know he is here. And when he fills us with his Holy Spirit, he empowers us. And we become witnesses. Uh, reminded of a song that I really love, written and performed by uh, a guy that many of you may not know or uh, some of you may recognize, written and performed by a guy named Don Francisco. And uh, Don wrote a song, and it's a ballad really out of Scripture uh, from the life of Jesus when he encountered a man named Jairus whose daughter was dying. And, um, and so he kind of tells the ballad of that story as Jesus uh, Jarius approaches him and says, will you come with me? My little daughter is near death and, and you're the only hope that we have. And Jesus came with her, with him. And, and you remember it was while they were on their way that there was a woman that had an issue of blood and, and interrupted that. And, and I mean, Jarius is on pins and needles saying, we don't have time. And all of a sudden in the journey, Jesus stops and says, somebody touch me. And the disciples are like, there's people all over the place. And Jesus said, no, I'm telling you, this is different. All that while Jarius is going, we don't have time for this. We don't have time for this. My daughter is dying. She is close to death. We've got to move. Jesus stops, encounters the woman, and then Jairus' worst nightmare happens. As they get ready to go, he sees one of his own servants coming, and his servant says to him, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your little girl is dead. And you remember Jesus said to him, look at me, Jairus. You look at me. You trust me. They went on to the house of Jairus. Jesus encounters the little girl, raises her from the dead, restores her, gives her back to mom and dad, and then he gives these words to Jairus. Don't tell anybody what just happened. And the song that Don Francisco sings shares the ballad of that story out of scripture and it gets to this point and the music begins to build and it builds and it feels like there's something building inside of me and all of a sudden it just is going to explode and it explodes into the chorus that says i gotta tell somebody i gotta tell somebody i've got to tell somebody when the early church prays and they experience the presence of god he's here he's here he fills us with his Holy Spirit and we have the power to become bold witnesses. We have got to tell somebody and, and, and he gives us the courage and the clarity and the confidence to do that. But not only does it say great power, it says great grace. Great grace. Power to do and grace to be what God wants me to be. He gives me a new perspective on life. He allows me to recognize I'm his. I don't own anything. I'm a steward of everything. And there's such freedom in knowing who I am in him. And when the church prays, the church prays. That's when we get to see what you're longing for. 
his presence. And when the church prays together, that's when we get to experience his power. We see him do things nobody else can do. And when the church prays, we get to be a part of seeing his purpose accomplished in the world. And my friend, that's what God's called us to do. Tonight at six o'clock, that's what we're gonna do. In the coming weeks, we're gonna have opportunities to come together and that's what we're gonna do. Because when the church prays, God shows up and he reminds us, I'm in control. I'm convinced that 2024 will be a year of desperation in a lot of ways. But I'm also convinced that when God's people are desperate, in desperate times, God shows up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder today. This is so powerful for us. We know all about prayer. We read books on prayer, but we don't pray. So this year, we want to commit to be a people of prayer individually. We want to commit to pray and to learn to pray, and to learn to grow in our prayer life. We want to be a family of faith that prays together to see you do great things for your purpose and plan. God, we need you. Desperately. We have already seen none of the challenges that we face in this world are going to be fixed by the things available to us. It's just going to get worse. We need you. The rest of the world doesn't understand it, but we do. We know the answer. It's you. So we commit ourselves to become the people of prayer that you have called us to be and for this place to be the house of prayer that you have called it and ordained it and set aside to be. Now, Father, if there's one here today that has never accepted you as Savior, today I just want to offer an opportunity for them to say yes to you. They need you desperately. We can't save ourselves, Jesus. And what we can't do, you did for us. You came and lived and died that we could be forgiven. And so today, if there's any person that's never accepted the gift of eternal life, I pray that they would right now say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I ask you to forgive me of my sin coming into my life. Jesus, I believe you are God. You came to earth and lived and died and rose again. And I'm asking you to be my Savior. I give you my life. And Father, even as they prayed that prayer, I know you've heard it. You've answered it. 
And I pray that they will take that next step to begin to grow in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. For the rest of us, Lord, speak to our hearts. Remind us that you're present. Encourage us in this commitment is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us. 